WNBA Nation. I know it's the weekend, but we had to do this. Pac-12, rise up. Where are you at, Tucson? We have so much to talk about and so little time to do it. Uh, the Final Four is over. We got a national championship to talk about. And if I sound giddy, it's because I'm giddy. Because women's basketball rules. Welcome to the show. I'm Steve Schwartzman. I'm here with Logan Jones. And I'm here with Jason Snow. How's it going, friends? Man. I love the Final Four. Final Four weekend's so freaking fun. <laughs> Every year, it really like it's just it's like on. It's amazing how it's so clockwork. Uh, mm. Like you could go every single year, both games deliver in such a way, and it was unique in its way this year. Uh, you know, we didn't get the Enrique type game, but we had like uh, uh, an awesome steel dagger and another one that could have been an awesome steel dagger. It, it was just a night. After our last episode, I basically thought to myself, what's the ideal outcome of today? Like we, we kind of talked about UConn and Baylor being such a tense, great game, but then not like the best ending in the world that kind of kept it from being an all timer. I was like, what, what would today have to look like for both of these games to be in that level? And I easily think they cleared that bar. I mean, I watched mm-hmm. both games short of breath the entire second half. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm glad that, you know, it's a weekend and my meetings are clear and I have I have nothing I got to do tomorrow. So I'm <laughs> probably just going to like lay in bed all day. But holy crap. Yeah, this was one of definitely one of those nights of like we saw two very different flavors with both of these games, but they they were both so satisfying in very different and interesting ways. I well, Let's just go ahead and go in chronological order of the night, because I think that's how. It just at some point we got to make a decision how we're going to talk about this, or we're just going to say, "Well, tonight was awesome" for like an hour, and <laughs> realize we didn't really do much of a show. That said, so Stanford headed to another national championship uh, in uh, one of the games of the entire calendar year uh, with one of the most thrilling false finishes I think I've seen in a very long time. Uh, Aaliyah Boston playing like a complete warrior. And also we got to talk about uh, possibly my favorite four foul strategy I've ever seen with Boston, which is somehow we got to get her on the court when we're on offense and find a sneaky way to get her off the court when we're on defense. (laughs) Like it was the most amazing thing. I've never seen that before. Subbing in and out a player like that, like they were a D lineman in a football game where for yeah. certain sets, you're like, get off, get off, get off. And then other sets is like, no, oh, you're back out there. Like I, I wanted to tweet about that, but it kept happening. And I was like, is like, am I missing something? Or are they doing this every play? And it yeah. almost worked. Yeah. It was like, it was like if you could call in like a pinch runner, but then put them back in the game. Like it was. Yeah. If you are a player who is playing basketball right now at any level, and you want to know what it takes to be an elite coach in this game? We got a showcase yeah. today in, in both games. All over the place. Yeah. Man, Don Staley did not go quietly. This, yeah, we, we got some excellent yeah. performances and execution from these teams. I, I, I think she is so, Don Staley is legendary in her coaching career in that she's very much the, the pinnacle of, 
as long as I've got an ounce of breath in me, like we're still alive. Like th- mm-hmm. there, there's always a way to figure it out, miracle or not, if we got something. And that, that down to one foul with your best player, and you were inches away from it working out completely. It yeah. was completely nuts. And and that that finish is it was thrilling. It was hard. I told you guys before we record, I was literally in my bathroom when that happened. I like ran to the bathroom. I had my phone. I was still watching the game, but I was hanging out on the couch. Just like I gotta go to the bathroom, but also and yes, guys, I wiped down and sanitized my phone afterward. I'm a and my hands. I'm a, I'm a clean person. Uh but it was very much like they were in like playing the foul game right then. And so in my head I thought oh, I'll be inbound in a foul and there might be some shots, so like it'll go to zeros by the time I go back to the couch and whatnot. And then just like scoop, drive, doesn't go in. And you you brought it up before I did, Logan, which is like we've all seen this finish and we all know how it ends. And like that tip in tends to go in in these like it's that Neko Gumake, like that's going in. And it just didn't. Mm-hmm. I thought that putback was going in. Even after it had missed, I was like, no, it has to go in. That's how firmly <laughs> yeah. I believed. Cause I was like, I've, I've watched this ending so many times where I, I thought Stanford was going to win. I watched Stanford play an awesome game. Uh, they, they added, uh, an eighth player to their rotation. They actually played a couple, maybe they played all their players, but mostly they were an eight player rotation this time. I thought freshman Cameron Brink played just, she was a defensive monster. Couldn't believe she was like 19 years old. Um, she, she was hyped. She was yelling at people on the ground. I didn't care. I like that sort of stuff. I was like, yeah, let's go. And Haley Jones and Hull, they were so dynamic. And then at the very end, they turned that ball over with seconds left to go. And for a split second, it, it all went out the window. I thought, doesn't matter. They got the turnover they needed. Yep. We've, we've watched the game. Yeah, how many, if you watch basketball, you've watched a thousand games that end with teams playing the free throw game and hoping for a miracle. Yeah. And so when it unfolds like this, when a team gets the steal and they've got time and the first bucket just misses, but your hero, like your champion of the arena, Aliyah Boston grabs the rebound. I was like that, you, you know, I, if you would have, if you would have told me to bet everything I owned in that moment with the ball in her hands that they were going to win the game, I would have taken it. I would have been like, yeah, that's, that's how you win. That's how you pull out mm-hmm. these tight games. And it was heartbreaking. She, I needed the camera off of her so fast after the game. I, I couldn't, I couldn't watch us. Yeah, that hurt. Super, super, super felt her. I mean, that was the, it was yeah. the Alexis Hornbuckle finish. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was that like, like didn't go in and then like get on the spot and make the play. And it just didn't quite happen. And it felt uh, so different that the, the Leah Boston moment after zeros was, was there was heartbreak and then there was tenderness. Cause there was something really special to, you know, her going up to Jones and Malibi and she's literally in the middle of the heartbreak when like, you're allowed to, to like crouch on the ground and have a cry. You're a hundred percent allowed to have that moment. Mm-hmm. And like found it in her to go hug one of her best friends and, and, you know, still be congratulatory in that moment. Like you could tell there was a massive amount of respect there, but that was a huge night. I mean, yeah, there's a couple of calls late that we could meander over if we did want to, but I think this really just came down to, it felt halfway through the fourth, like this might end up being one of those games of inches. I just don't think we knew how many inches now. Um, 
A lot of it, though, that's interesting to me, is I feel like a lot of what we based off our predictions very much played out in that I think, obviously, Stanford's talent level and their defensive prowess, but their size really kind of won the night. I think against almost any other team in the country, Boston gets that shot to go down. Yeah, uh, she's she was playing against such an oversized front court. I almost wonder if overcompensation leads to that barely bricking, and she comfortably gets that to go in uh, in almost any other circumstance. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I yeah. really liked the star power in this game. Obviously, this doesn't mean anything now, but in six or seven years, you might look back at this final four matchup and go, "Oh, Aaliyah Boston, who is now a star in the league, was in that game, and so was." <laughs> Whole, like, uh, Haley Jones went 11 of 14 for 24 points. She had a star night. Hole had 18 points. And then on the other side of the ball, South Carolina, man, Zia Cook almost single, I mean, not single handedly. Henderson had a huge game too, points wise, mm-hmm. and she hit some big threes. But Cook, Cook was the one that I thought, man, if you get a performance like that, you can upset the number one seed. And she, I mean, just almost did enough. Henderson was, for me, it was almost the performance of the night. I think I told you guys, like, there is the one thing Henderson does not know how to do is give up on a play. And <laughs> it it is what kept that game so close. She found her way in situations, whether she made the score or not, to, to aid to the bucket that kept South Carolina in striking distance toward the end of that night. Because there was a point in the fourth quarter where it really looked like it was going to start pulling away. It really felt like it. And you could, and then it, yeah, I mean, it just worked out the way that it did. And ah, what a huge night. I mean, it was, and I mean, yeah, we talked about Brink and her defensive performance. I like her. She's, she's fun. Yeah. I mean, Brink, Brink has, Brink has an amazing attitude to her. I mean, there's a lot of people who probably don't want to talk about Brink because there was a definite push off at one point. Really, I mean, as far as this looks, you know, you, we're going to talk more about Stanford, what really what made Stanford successful tonight. And that it's what's going to be their calling card on Sunday. Uh, but we have waited too long to talk about Arizona. Uh, and I think <laughs> they're kind of getting really annoyed at people not talking about Arizona and they just might make a championship out of it. So let's yeah. go. <laughs> I'm almost, I'm almost tempted to keep ignoring them. <laughs> I'm gonna ju- I'm gonna jump into this with like a, a quick bold question, and if you're on Twitch Live, which by the way, if you're listening to this on our podcast feed, you can always join us on Twitch. Follow us on Twitter. We'll let you know when we're doing live streams. They're so much fun. Uh, we love our community, and we love doing these live. So someone on the Twitch could correct me if you're listening to the show and you want to come at me with a take and, and tell me that I'm vehemently wrong. Totally fine. I'm here for it uh, because that's fine. But. Could this be the biggest upset in women's Final Four history? Oh, Arizona over over a twenty and one UConn team. There's there's strong contenders. The Christy Solver yeah, Maryland I, team was a big one. It didn't feel like it, which maybe is a credit to Arizona. Yeah, um, because they, like they were a three seed that played like a one seed. They beat out everybody in their region. True, it was a three seed. Yeah, that's the that's a the huge truth is that it was a three yeah, seed. So like, that's why I'm being bold about this and just saying like I'm curious if like I mean they lost one game all year, so it's in the discussion automatically because you just didn't expect UConn to lose. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I, with my limited knowledge of women's basketball history, like I, I just, I don't go that deep in, in terms of the history of the game past maybe the last six to 10 years, but it's definitely the biggest one I can recall, but I'm sure somebody in Twitch chat can show me up for sure. But like, that's great. Like I want to hear yeah. like, you know, what's out there because I, I'm sure there's some, especially like in, in the pre 2000 era, uh, that that could really stand out. I think, um, like Maryland over Duke, that Christy Tolliver team was one that stood out. Um, I mean, that Maryland team was always good, but it was one of the most thrilling finishes, um, we've seen. Yeah. I like, I like, uh, I'm seeing Mississippi State over UConn 2017. That, that had the gravity, I think, of an upset. Like I, I don't know. I don't know why today felt so different. That was that was an that was an undefeated UConn team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it it feels it feels like an upset when a team plays above what you thought they were capable of doing, like like mm. way above their ceiling, and and shocks a team. And yeah. Arizona must like they've just kind of been doing that a lot. And so now it's like, mm-hmm. well, maybe we were just always wrong. Like personally, it's just like I was just wrong about it. like. I, this is as good a time mm. as any to bring this up. Like I, I had Arizona as one of about 10, eight to 10 teams I thought could win the whole thing before the tournament began. I really believed yeah. in their coaching, their defense. But when it came down to this matchup, if you listen to our last episode, you know, I gave them no chance. Yeah. I thought, I thought UConn yeah. could have played a less than ideal game and still come out on top. I just, I, everything I said, I mean, process wise, I was totally wrong. I mean, I, Wildcats came in right around their season average in points per game. Their average is 67. Mm-hmm. They scored 69. I said that wouldn't be enough. They held the Huskies to 59. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, yeah. I thought their, their average of six threes a game wasn't going to be enough. They hit seven. They won by 10. So everything they did defensively to hold off the the potential run in that third quarter, which I think we all felt happening. Yeah. Right. You UConn went on a seven Oh run and then they were patient with the ball. They went inside. They didn't panic. Key. The key difference between this and the Baylor game is they didn't turn the ball over. They still took care of the ball. They handled their business yep. and they got out of the third quarter without coughing up that big lead. It was patience and poise. They never once tried to overcompensate when it felt like UConn was making a run. They knew like weather it out, find your moments and get a score. They knew, okay, they seem to be closing us out at the perimeter. So let's try to work the ball inside, break some rhythm. And they just kept finding a way to fair them off. Cause I think on the Mississippi state upsets a great call up because it was a, that was a very close game with that. So many of those games felt like they would go a Yukon's way and it worked out differently. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean that, that standout makes a ton of sense. Uh, I'd say. 2011 A&M is close over Notre Dame. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a handful that do stand out, but this was definitely one that I think it, it's kind of like you said, it's almost just uh, – it's almost like the upset wasn't Arizona over UConn. It was Arizona over, like, the community of, like, yeah. uh-huh. <laughs> we were the ones that you just decided to to move out, including including marketers, including ESPN. Didn't even put Arizona in the promo package leading up to the game. I mean, it was, you know, I mean, that was such a narrative. I, I hate to to be so down on them, but I Logan brought this moment up a, a minute ago. But they come into the they come out of the half with a ten point lead, 
and UConn about halfway through the third shrunk it to, a, I think it was like four or five points. UConn had shrunk the, the lead to. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, it's over. Like at that point, I still didn't, Arizona was already up. It was, it was up five and I was still yeah. like, I had no faith in them. And then when they stretched it back out to 12, I was like, oh wait, oh wait, yeah. this might happen. And that's, I, it wasn't until that moment that I believed. Arizona fans are going to hate that. Logan and I had the conversation I'm about to bring up and and you were warranted to hate this, but there was a point after the half where I kind of re- like messaged Logan. It was like, okay, so what point will they have had their fun? And then UConn just at some yeah. point cinches down. I mean, it just, yeah, and I too- feel like those moments were being made, but I, I almost think the difference is Arizona got to watch the Baylor situation. And, yeah. and, and you know what? Anyone that you want to call out after the Baylor game, Renee Montgomery, and other uh, former current players, media analysts, whatever, they were right. Just don't put yourself in that situation. That's what Arizona was trying to do. <laughs> Let's stay out of that situation. Yeah, I really, uh, as yeah, as much egg was on my face. I'm glad I at least didn't like completely ignore them in our in our lead up to the Final Four discussion, like uh, like the NCAA did. But um, I enjoyed watching them out physical UConn. Because yes. that was really their their best play, and it it speaks volumes to Coach Barnes' ability as kind of an inspiration on the sideline. That throughout that game, what it looked like, like to your point, see, I think Wildcats fans even at halftime were thinking, "We're going to get punched out of the half. Can we take it? Like, like we know you this UConn's not going to just roll. Yeah, can we weather? Can we weather that shot that we're de- it's definitely going to happen? Yeah, right. And and the fact that in the second half we saw the biggest plays not just be, oh, they were just red hot from three, so they ran away with it because they were shooting well. It wasn't that. It was yeah. McDonald going inside against tough defense yeah. and checking Paige Beckers and getting yeah. and one buckets to go. I was about to say like my my play of the night might have been Trinity Baptiste. Like spinning back oh. to the floor. I mean, it was very much like not just on the offensive end, but defensively. I felt like Baptiste was on the floor every other defensive possession, and usually a UConn yep. player was close behind. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, it was. Yeah, I, I don't think it was quite like the physical game of two like oversized teams that like where there was just like a lot of like rough stuff in the paint. It wasn't like that. Yeah. But, Man, I mean, they, they just refuse to be outworked and it's such a basketball cliche, but yeah, I loved what, like everything coach Barnes did in this game from, from opening tip to double, you know, double birding the, the team in the huddle, <laughs> uh, as they were kind of celebrating. I mean, she just, she took that program from basement of the Pac 12 five years ago to their first national title berth. That yeah. is a, I mean, that is a turnaround. Yep. Absolutely. We need to talk about how good this Arizona defense was tonight because that was really what told the story. They had nearly as many defensive rebounds as UConn had rebounds. Um, they held Nelson Adota to a single point. Uh, they held Edwards to eight points. Uh, uh, Mule, Mule in 21 minutes only got a bucket. Yeah, Beggars had five in the first half. She looked really solid in the fourth. It really felt like she was cooking. Kristen Williams was their top scorer, and obviously we'll talk a little bit about Kristen Williams in a second. Um, <clears throat> but they managed harder on the boards. They doubled them in steals. Uh, this is one of the few close games like this where uh, they uh, actually uh, uh, they beat them in the foul game. They had less fouls than UConn was called for. Um, 
the free throw percentage that they had, they were higher in, in free throw percent or not percentage, but even attempts, which people can call out whatever they want on that. But it was definitely one of those things that's indicative of they played clean, physical, tough defense. They tried to be disruptive wherever they could. And then mm-hmm. from there, they just tried to weather the correct storm. They yep. knew where the weapons were coming from. They knew the things that they probably couldn't avoid. Hey, guys, every now and again, Becker's is going to take one stepper up to the elbow and it's going in. Just let that happen. We'll figure other yeah. things out. I, I did want to call that out, too. This night absolutely belongs to the Arizona Wildcats. But props to Paige Becker's for living up to almost like like billing that was almost impossible to live up to. Right. Yeah. She was marketed as. You know, first ever freshman player of the year. She's the one to watch. Like, if you're watching the women's tournament, that's the the lone name you should know. That's sort of how the marketing materials were geared this past week. And to her credit, every time I thought UConn was out of this game and Arizona could breathe a little easy, it felt like Beckers hit a shot and it was like, I'd look down and it was like, oh, it was a five-point game. Like, they did not go away. I think the stat popped up. She, uh, like, the third highest point total. Was it, it... As a freshman or career-wise for the tournament? It was Cheryl Miller and maybe Lisa Leslie. Did I get <laughs> Something that right? to that effect. It was the only the only other freshman to score like 108 plus in their in their freshman tournament. Yeah. And so yeah, that, that goes up above. Oh, it was, it was catchings. To me, catchings. Oh, okay. And Cheryl Miller. And she was one point shy of Cheryl and three points shy. Of, of catch. So it's it pretty, good, of course, pretty freaking, good company. of course, freaking catch has the record. It's amazing. <laughs> like, I got, we got a lot more Tamika to talk about over the next year. You'll see. That said, I'm going to, I'm going to drive right into this. Cause obviously, like you said, I think the night has to go to Arizona. Uh, at, obviously goes to Baptiste Art McDonald, who had a star making performance. Yeah. Uh, they kept shooting up graphics of where certain seniors or draft declarees are projected. And they kept throwing up that she's projected eighth. I'm starting to feel like she might show up a bit sooner. Um, <laughs> yeah. Cause I think there are a lot of teams that are like, mm, we could use that. Uh, yeah. so I, 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 I felt that Adia Barnes and the story all over the place from coaching physicality to throwing up double birds and then turning around and immediately holding her adorable baby on live camera. I mean, the story is there. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, I gotta, I gotta call one thing out because it's just, this could be taken out of context, but I'm just seeing what I see on Twitter. We talked about Kristen Williams. Kristen Williams, um, fouled out fairly early in the fourth on what honestly was a pretty blown call. It was in a, in a tournament where a lot of teams have had complaints about officiating. It might have mm-hmm. been second only to Baylor. I think the, the most blatant, like, oh, like, like they reviewed it, they looked at it on replay in slow-mo, and they said, yep, that's a foul. And I just yeah. don't get it. I, I don't get it at all. The Baylor game against UConn in the Elite Eight, so much of the finish weighed on two moments with Baylor, with D.D. Richards going out and that foul that should have been called on Carroll Carrington that wasn't called. Yeah, And UConn kind of had that all that in one moment because it was a poor foul that was reviewed and withheld that took Kristen Williams, her top score out of the game yeah. um, in a, in a pivotal time when they could have started making a run. So I get that frustration. What's interesting is my discussion feelings when it comes to this Kristen Williams situation kind of goes twofold because um, Charlotte Carroll uh, 
shared a quote from post interview. Now, again, I only have the context of the quote, so there might be a video up that I haven't seen as of yet that shares more context. We all know, read the article, watch the video, get the context. That said, the direct quote that I'll share here says, and a quote, I think we came out with the wrong mentality. We thought it was going to be easy. I guess we got flustered. Close quote. Again, we may not have the full context of what surrounds that comment. There may be more to it. That said, what? <laughs> it's my question, Logan. To, what? To me, to me, I don't think she's saying legitimately we thought we were going to breeze our way to the finals. Yeah. I think she was saying in retrospect, the way we played, it looked like we thought it was going to be an easy game. That's you would have. You would have said by the way we were playing and conducting ourselves, I guess they thought it was going to be easy, which is different than that being their literal mindset. Yeah, I think yeah. she was just disappointed in the way that they played and knew that they could have played a better game. Uh, but yeah. I, I wouldn't necessarily take that as like literally her admitting like, oh, we just came in and thought that this final four Arizona team was going to be cake. You know, I got to feel like that, whether there's extra context that's not tying well to this or you're talking about a player who very much has like some bones to grind. Like she, she has some gripes coming out of this game because she was taken out of it very early when she probably shouldn't have been in the moment and had a really frustrating loss in a final four game. And probably what came out came out. Like it probably was, if she had a shot, she would have said some things a little bit differently. Cause I think in their mind, they kind of thought, uh, I don't know. It's yeah. It's that idea of like, um, you know, we looked at, you mm. can look at talent levels. You can look at, you know, we just didn't come in with as hard nose of a mentality. Like I totally get all of that. My interest is how did it go from what the context should have been to that quote? And that's yeah, an that's interesting wild. point. You know, if, that's if, wild. if, and it's so important for me to know how big this if is, because I really don't think any ill intent was behind those words. But if there really is this idea of like an elitist mentality of like, well, we're just better at them. We'll just go out and win. Yeah. That's where I start to be like, well, now I need a can and now I need a camera in this room. Now I need to uh, hear what's being spoken about. Yeah. Uh, because I don't believe for a second that that's a Gino led thing, right? That can't be like a, uh, no. th- there's no way Gino Ariyama of all people is like cakewalk guys go out and do your thing. No, like, you yeah. know, Gino hates losing more than he likes winning. I really believe that. 100%. So I, I don't see him as being 100%, someone. 100%. Because you <laughs> never see him smile after a win, but you most certainly see him be grumpy after a loss. Yeah, I, I don't He's see him He's grumpy someone... after wins. All he, all he yeah, could do no. the other night was crap on LeBron James. So, I mean. There's, there's a lot of debate around culture that unless you are like there in the locker room every day, like it's just hard to speak to. Yeah. But it, it does have to be difficult to be playing the only three seed left in the tournament. And you're a one seed who's just come out of this really tough region, probably played the toughest game you think you're going to have to play against Baylor. And then you see Arizona and you think, all right, like we survived this long. Let's do our thing. We're UConn. Yeah. But I don't know. It's, to me, especially coming from Williams, who had the, you know, she was her team's leading scorer. It's not like they came out lazy. I really think it, it was Arizona's defense. I don't want to diminish anything they did defensively by saying, well, UConn was playing lazy and the referees and this and that. Like, we, we need to give full credit to the Arizona Wildcats yeah. shutting down this team yeah. in the first half and then doing enough in the second. There is a, a tendency, and you guys kind of alluded to this, but... 
sometimes players, independent of their coach, because like you said, I don't think this was Geno led, but there can be the sense of like looking out past your skis where it's like they might have been sitting in the locker room prepping for this game with like one eye on their phone going, who are we playing next? Is it Stanford or South Carolina? And they're keeping track of that. And like just in their head, sure. they're not they're not taking it as serious as they needed to. And I don't think that's a slight to Arizona as much as it is. They were just confident in their game. They they looked at the matchup, said, I think we can win this. And when we do, which one of these two dominant, really hard to face teams are we going to crash against? And I, I you, sometimes you look past opponents that you're confident against. And I, I think that might've been what she was trying to express. There's, there's been, there's been so much talk in this tournament by us included of how great it is to have these awesome freshmen. But believe it or not, there are some disadvantages to having a very yeah. young team. And I think that's one of them. You just described it is they don't have the experience to know how to be more disciplined when mm-hmm. it comes to taking care of business before getting to that finals. I, yeah. I think about this a lot sometimes is sometimes the inexperience helps because you don't know how to, to lose. Um, uh-huh. There's a lot of teams in different levels of basketball that have benefited from that. Like, we don't quite have, we don't have the baggage that weighs us down. Um, yeah. but obviously experience plays its role. Now, as I look at the quote, weirdly, the most telling part of it that gives me some context from what I can see is the, I guess, because the way I almost read it, I can I, I see what you're saying, Logan, and, and expounding on it is I think instead of saying we thought it was going to be easy, she was really kind of saying, I think we had it in our minds, go play our game, go play the strategy we know how to play with, and we're going to make this happen. Like that. How we play in general is ever ready fit to win this basketball game. And they don't think they were expecting their, you know, Arizona's ability to find proper shots, bounce back and cut, you know, rallies in play and how stout they were going to be on defense. And maybe they didn't adjust to that effectively because the way I almost read it is when that happens to you, you go out and say, I think the A1 is going to work for us and it doesn't quite work. You're, you almost kind of throw your cards in the air and you're like, I don't know. And so the way I read the quote isn't so much like we didn't take it seriously. It's her going, we thought it was going to be easy, I guess. I, I, I don't know. Like I almost, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what happened out there. We played yeah. the way we know how to play and it's one of us. I don't know what happened out there. Like that's almost how I see it is. And, and it just came out in a way where it makes it sound like you're, um, like softing it out there. Cause I'll tell you right now, watching the game and watching how UConn was playing and how many players ended up on the hardwood throughout the night. I don't think any of them were playing like the game was easy. Yeah. <laughs> there's, no. definitely, there's definitely a team trying to play a very difficult di- game in a, in a difficult way. Like they, like it, they definitely didn't feel like they were out there lollygagging it at any point. And so it was that I, I feel bad for, for Kristen in a sense, because she's going to bear the brunt of that for a lot of fans who, are going to take this as we're, we're kind of taking this easy. But at the same time, I think this does also support um, that notion of, especially with your top players in a college program, especially if you know they're going to get a lot of media attention and they're going to be seeing this a lot in their future career and they may not have seen as much now. Uh, there definitely needs to be some indebted focus on, hey, just so you know, like this is the spectrum of media and this is some stuff to be prepared for. Yeah. And here's some things you could avoid. I wonder if there's stuff like this that could have been potentially mitigated. Now, it's not even that highly controversial in that it wasn't inappropriate or anything like that. It's just 
now it, it, sometimes you just allow people to question your program for the most minute things. And this is one of those yeah. things you could have opened up. And the tough part of it is one of the best examples of this probably just in sports history was if you go back and watch Chris Weber's interview after the timeout game at Michigan back in 90, I want to say it was 92, maybe 93. Um, he calls timeout the championship game. They were out of timeouts, technical foul. He goes from storming off the court, throwing a chair on live camera. They immediately put him in a press conference uh-huh. with no one there to support him. And you've got to think about as a member of an organization of a team and as a coach, um, we might have some individuals because I'll tell you what right now they kept, they kept, they loved cutting to Kristen Williams on the bench for those last four minutes, that game. It was very clear. She was not feeling it. Like she was not wanting to be there in the moment. It was a different reason, but every time Boston was on the bench for those, like every other possession, they, they just loved lingering because they know you're watching, you're paying attention mm-hmm. to like that, that star player. She, she was clearly in a bad mood. And, it, yeah. and so I think that plays a role. And I feel like sometimes if those are noted, you can make that call to say, listen, she's, she's frustrated because it was a really frustrating night and it ended in a frustrating way for her and not going to be in her frame of mind. And a part of my job as a coach is to protect my players. Cause these are 18 and 19 year olds. And I, you know, there, you know, there's no point in that now it, it's hard just because con- the context yeah, of I, this, I may be blowing this well out of proportion. I totally accept that. It was just very telling when I yeah. saw it pop up in the moment. Yeah, I, I can't speak too much to what might have been going on mentally for, for UConn players. I feel like we can speak to what we saw happen on the floor with how physically they attacked Paige Beckers, yeah. uh, specifically through McDonald. I felt like mm-hmm. this was – I saw her on the ground so much this year. She got bowled over a couple times. She she looked like she might have gotten hurt towards the very end of the game. I, I, maybe she just got the wind knocked out of her, but – I mean, she got mowed over. She got pushed under the basket when she had the ball. She had to work for everything extremely hard. And it's yeah. nothing, nothing that happened tonight changed my mind about her future, right? Yeah. She, she's a freshman who's going to score a bunch of points and she's going to go to the league and she's going to tear it up. And I hope the WNBA has 14 teams by then because that freshman class is going to be crazy. Yeah. But they, they did provide a blueprint though for, for how to deal with her. And that's the, Unless Paige is going to hit the weight room in a major way this offseason, you can, you can outmuscle her. If yeah. you have a player yeah. like McDonald, which not many teams do, I mean, you can go right at her. And that was, it was startling to see that. It was completely opposed to my take on Arizona a couple of days ago where I said there's nothing they could actively do to, to minimize her effect. Because that was the way to do it was make her yeah. work so hard on the defensive end of the floor. And it, I think that exact, uh, tactic is, is going to play a role in the game we're about to review. And before we hit that, I, I kind of want to close out our discussion on this, on tonight as a, as, as a night of basketball, but this game specifically, I feel, I kind of feel like tonight almost felt like a night of two quotes. I mean, there's this quote from Kristen Williams who talked about, I don't know, maybe, maybe we thought it was going to be easy. We're in the right mindset. Uh, and then cut to Ari McDonald and a quote, I was thinking, I'm a dog. Nobody can stop me. Close quote. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So in fact, let's talk about, uh, I know we want to get to the finals preview, but before we, we jump off of this, every team that played today had outrageous amounts of swag. Yeah. And I enjoyed every bit of Wonderful. it. Wonderful. Zia Cook, love it. McDonald, McDonald folding her arms 
after hitting that shot was better, I think, than anything we saw all day. <laughs> I loved, I loved the Zia Cook rock the baby. You know, a moment of swag is real and authentic and it's money when it's a Twitter gif within moments. Yeah. Like I yeah, saw it, I, I saw it on television and then I saw it on Twitter. Like, oh wow, that's, <laughs> that took no time at all. Yeah, um, I, I hate, I kind of hate when players, uh, I'll use Steph as an example, um, but like I hate when players do things that they know is going to get engagements. Like they do the yeah. shimmy and then they're like, yeah, turn that into a video. Like I'm, I'm whatever. But everything that happened today was more, like you said, Steve, like it was just an authentic, like mm-hmm. McDonald's look of contempt when she put down a three or, you know, Henderson dude hitting a big shot. Uh, like I said, I really enjoyed Brink getting super into the game earlier. I'm probably yep. missing several. Baptiste, I think, had one. There, there was just a lot. The, the reason I keep using the term star power is because it feels like these players are all like feeling yeah. themselves a little bit. They, they have, they're creating such an aura for themselves, which is important. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because I, I normally don't like to play the men's women's comparison of like, this is why I like women's basketball. You know, it's not always a fair thing to, to call out, but I will say, one thing that turns me off of watching men's basketball, especially the MNBA, and and where it's very different with women's basketball, is that swagger is very forced in the men's game. It's very much like I have to do things that look like this happens, including nutty Kyle Kuzma esque outfits. To and I, I mean, like the fashion walk outfit thing happens on both sides, but you can feel the forcedness of it on one side and the other side. That's just who these people are. You know, that's that. It really reminded me of that, like Diana Taurasi, like keep clapping stuff. That's like, <laughs> uh-huh. this is just, this is just who I am. Yeah. And like, you could feel, feel the art and like it, it came out in so many different ways. And I think it's huge for the game because that's the type of stuff that's like w- so many of fringe basketball fans, especially after this whole Shaq debacle from a few weeks ago. Think of these very sophomoric and basic things or what tie people to men's basketball dunks and all this stuff. Honestly, a lot of times when it comes to a fringe mainstream basketball fan, it's lifestyle. It's very much the aura that it puts you in. And I think for some reason, people almost still picture um, like this, like early years uh, basketball era of like, I don't know, even when it's like high need high pads and like set layups. I don't even know what to say of like, they almost picture this like gym class type of aura and what you're missing out on. If you're not investing in women's basketball is like unmitigated swagger and unmitigated personality and putting their people, putting their own flavor on the game left and right. And that's been happening for years. You could go watch Cynthia Cooper highlights from the eighties at USC. She had swag before swag was cool, but this is like, that I agree with you and totally like it's becoming such a, a heavy norm that I actually see it being yeah. a strong impetus for the growth of the game moving forward. It adds so much as to why I this agree. incoming 2024 or whatever freshman class or rookie class is going to be so intense. It's so much more than their ability to play basketball. They're going to walk in and want to own the place. And yeah. that's a pretty big deal. Yeah. And I, I don't want to steer us all the way down this road. This is, this is a discussion I feel very passionately about for, for another time when we've got like, like a week where there's nothing else going on. But with all that's going on with NCAA name and likeness stuff right now, I think that's actually really important is if, if these athletes ever get the ability to market themselves as they should be able to, the, the WNBA doesn't let them 
take to the league until they're like 22 years old. Yeah. So they're going to have years in college where they can cultivate a following and a brand. And it, like as, as gross as the word brand is, like it's really important for individual athletes. They can, they can do that. They can become household names like Beckers already has well before they ever hit the league. And that just brings more star power to the league. Like that's, that's the Kobe and LeBron, you know, coming to the mm-hmm. NBA without going to college and instantly making an impact stuff that made them such legends. So I, you know, I, I don't want to dig into what's going on with the Supreme Court and paying athletes and stuff. This Like we're not doing that today, but I, I do think that attitude plays and, yeah. and women's basketball has got a lot of it. Yeah, I, I, I one day we will have to have the discussion of like Paige Beckers being in a way sports first like TikTok celebrity. Yeah. Um and how she had uh insurmountable following well before she ever played a single game of college basketball and how that aura is turning into so much now. Um but yeah, I agree with you. I, we've been we've been able to meet so many personalities, it's added so much. Now we have a championship game to watch. And we've got to watch these two teams play twice already. Uh, basically, this is like I started the show with Pac-12 Rise Up. We got the Wildcats. We got the Cardinal. No plural. Just a tree. <laughs> um, now, Stanford has ruled the roost in these matchups. I mean, you go back earlier in the season, uh, Arizona lost by 27 home. And then Stanford won again later in the season. This is when Stanford was fourth overall. Uh, and it was a 14 point game. So it was a closer matchup, but still a fairly comfortable win. Here's the hard part. This Arizona team is in a very, this was the Green Ranger turning to the White Ranger. Very different scenario <laughs> in every way. It's a neutral site. You both are going to have fans that are going to be ready to go for it. Um, how much more potential confidence or how much, how different, how, how much has your confidence in a Stanford win, uh, changed after tonight compared to yesterday? If yesterday you found out it's going to be Stanford, Arizona, uh, <laughs> from there to tonight, how much has your confidence changed in Stanford, the consensus number one team in the country pulling off this title game? That's a good question. I think Stanford still does everything well that we knew about them before today. That's why they've gotten this far. And as exciting as the story of Arizona is and how great McDonald has played, we have to remember that like that doesn't necessarily mean that suddenly they all got taller and longer to, to contend with what Stanford has to offer. That said, this is a different Arizona team than they played in the regular season. Uh, I, I'm not sure if the Wildcats are going to be gassed on Sunday from their effort tonight or if they're going to be invigorated because they're in the championship game and they're just playing all on adrenaline and emotion. I would lean towards the latter because they're well coached and they're going to be excited to, I don't know. I don't think McDonald is going to go one of 12 for three in the championship game the way that she did Mm -hmm. in her combined efforts against them in the regular season. So she's going to be a problem. Stanford presents problem because they can defend pretty much anybody. Uh, so I'm as not fun as it is. I would still probably lean Stanford, but your question was how much has my confidence changed, uh, between last night and today? And it's big. I, I probably would have given Stanford a 90% chance to beat Arizona if you asked me yesterday. Uh, mm-hmm. as we stand now, that's down to like a little uh, more than a coin flip, but less than 
favorable. I'd, I'd probably give Stanford like a 60% confidence rating. Yeah, I yeah, I agree with a lot of what you said there. I, I think that an underdog in this situation where you've lost in the regular season has two advantages. One is a psychological advantage of like, they took us down, we're going to come back and get them. And there's something, you know, that underdog story, you know, the reason we all watch Rudy and Hoosiers is just like, there's something in the back of our mind that just likes that switch of like, we're the underdog, we're going to take it. And then the other one is, I feel like generally speaking, when you're meeting up with someone you've played before, the team who won says, we knew how to beat them. We're going to do it again. And that gives the advantage to the underdog who says, what can we do to beat the team we just played? And so because they're making the change that, that gives them a chance. Uh, I, I still lean Stanford and a lot of it has to do with size, though. If Arizona can play the type of defense they played tonight, um, that, that gets a little more into question because they played above their size against UConn. And so I think that that could, uh, that could that could level that a little bit. I I'm a little bit more on the Stanford side. I'm probably saying it's more of about a 75 percent chance Stanford and a 25 Arizona. Uh, but man, that underdog mentality that that can that can really throw some stuff. And the fact that they're both Pac-12 that's always a little more interesting when you're from the same conference. So yeah, yeah. I completely agree with everything Jason just said about the advantages of being the underdog in that scenario. And like. Uh, we said this a little bit in pre-record, but when it comes to conference opponents or divisional opponents or no matter what league you play in, just opponents that you see regularly, a lot of the stats that you rely on to inform how you'd pick that game can be tossed out the window because it's just it's one game between blood rivals and anything yep. goes. Now, it's interesting. I, I wasn't able to pick up the numbers in time. Uh, to call them out on the recording, but in this 13 year run that Connecticut's been to the final four, they have six championships. So they have seven games where they didn't get into the championship game because Gino doesn't lose title games. Apparently um, it's very seldom uh, that the team that beats UConn wins the title. Yeah. Uh, it's actually like more than not. I, I got to look at the numbers, but um, I look at, I know in 08, it, that was the case. Uh, you know, there was Rutgers beating UConn, losing to Tennessee. There was, yeah, I mean, Mississippi State losing to Notre yeah. Dame. You have, did South, who did South Carolina play in the final four in 2017? Uh, South Carolina <laughs> in the final four, they played Stanford. Mississippi State beat UConn in 2017 and South Carolina beat Stanford. So, so, Again, like the team that beats UConn, it's almost kind of like they cashed in a lot of their sports god chips to yeah. beat the Goliath. And it's um it's a very difficult thing. And I don't know if it's just because of like you said, like it's this emotional exhaustion. The difference here is that this is in a conference foe that everyone in the Pac twelve has wanted to shut up all year. Yeah. And only a couple have had that chance. And to have that opportunity again after everything that you felt, I think it's almost an added motivation, which helps. I think that really does tie to their mentality and, and it helps them there. So you touched on it a little bit now. Uh, we'll talk about what Arizona needs to do to win. Let's just, let's talk Stanford to start off. What does Stanford, yeah. minus the do everything you've been doing all year, what needs to happen to assure that they walk out of this with a trophy? I think it's informative to look at uh, what the uh, how do I put this? They lost to UCLA and Colorado this year. So what did those teams do to beat them? Right? Like what if they have an Achilles heel? What is it? And it's basically 
giving up a huge quarter on the defensive end because of either getting in early foul trouble so you don't have your regular rotation out there or just shooting awful. Um, those, those are really the only routes I can see. And against UCLA, they shot 50%. So it was really just UCLA offensively absolutely brought it for, for the second quarter. And then they just clung to their lead. As far as I look at it, UCLA and Colorado, are the only two teams this season to score more than 70 points. Yeah. Against Stanford. Yeah. Um, so I think that stands for right there. Like that's all that might almost be the mark is you have to shoot at that level that it's fluidly working. Now, um, does it, that it, it's, it's nearly the opposite with Arizona situation and they had to hold a team to a certain level of points, which we didn't even bring up the fact that they held UConn to 22 points at the half tonight when UConn scored 24 points in the first quarter against Baylor. That's pretty insane. And they scored 69 tonight. Like legitimately they'd be one point shy of that potential. So you're looking at that mm-hmm. going like they have it in them. If they have the same start that they did, uh, Arizona tonight, they have it in them, but Stanford has that ability to say you're there to lock down a defense in my mind. You look at your off that the biggest offensive threat of the other team. And I almost think Stanford has the ability to afford and say, we're going to let Ari McDonald get, if she wants 40 points, she can have 40 points. But we're not going to let the rest of the squad do us in because that's what almost seemed to hurt UConn so hard. We need to hold Baptiste and Ganey and like so many, like to a certain extent so that really at the end of the day, we're, we're backing that out. And I almost think like you almost lead off on your star and say, let the size battle prevail. Let the rebounding prevail. Cause I think for them, they have that ability in them. Uh, you know, as a quick stat, so South Carolina, uh, possibly the best rebounding team in the country. Um, do you want to hear the list of teams this season that out rebounded South Carolina in a game? It has to be none. It's a Stanford Cardinal. That's it. Yeah. Just, so oh, no, just one yeah. team that out rebounded them. Um, and I got to look at the box score and make sure that that was, that that's still technically correct. Noah, wait a minute. Well, actually, no, I'm wrong. By the end, actually, no, South Carolina ended up with more rebounds by the end of the night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I remember the announcer said something about that, like partway through the third. Yeah. I remember that stat. Now that I look at it, no, it's actually, it's actually none. Um, they, uh, uh, at, it was like with minutes left and then they ended up everything up, bounding up by four, by the way. What's going on in, in, uh, South Carolina for goodness sake? Yeah. What, what I think is, what I think is fun is if you look at the Stanford team and think like the question you asked, like what, what do they have to do? If you say like shoot a good percentage, well, they actually shot really well in the two games they lost this year. They just do that. They, they occasionally they turn the ball over. They generally out rebound you. Uh, in the, in the, the UCLA game, they did get out rebounded 44 to 31. So that was, that was part of that is they turned the ball over and then they got out rebounded. So UCLA took like 15 more shots than they did. Ended up squeaking out a win. Um, Arizona can can limit your field goal percentage, mm-hmm. and that's kind of interesting to me because Stanford is always like they've played thirty two regular season games and a bunch of postseason games, and they just always shoot well because they're big and they get chances at the rim, and then they have players who can step outside and knock down jumpers when they need to. Yeah, but against Arizona, maybe there are more contested looks and they struggle a little bit more. I'm trying to find a way to get. 
the Wildcats like on yeah. the board here because I was so bad at it against UConn that I, I want to give them more of a chance. And there's definitely an opening there because they, the Cardinal has lost two games this year where they shot 44 and 50% from the floor. Yeah. Well, I, I think what it is, I think the Cardinal have gotten away several times this year that I've seen where they just drop a quarter of defense. You kind of alluded to this earlier, Logan, but I felt like they dropped a quarter of defense against who was it? They played Louisville. And like they ended up having to come back mm-hmm. in that game. Yeah. And every once in a while they just drop a quarter of defense, but they're so good that they can make it up later. And really what Arizona has to hope for is that they come out, drop a quarter of defense and just, you know, they, they, they allow a lot of points and then do what they did to mm-hmm. UConn tonight, which is just never let them get it back. You know, that, that seems to be the yeah. game plan. If you want to do it is, is that same thing of hopefully Stanford yeah. doesn't play tough defense. You get a few points and then you just cling on to that lead for the rest of the ride. They essentially have to play what I almost call a three-quarter court press, which is I think if you try to full-on press Arizona, they might speed you out, which is tough. Uh-huh. But as soon as they cross that line, um, you have the ability to disrupt them before they ever get into an offensive rhythm. That's what they were able to do to upend Louisville late is is play to those percentages and and they you know they forced Dan Evans out of some rhythm. And it, they were able to turn that into a deep run, which was really strong. I mean, obviously you saw that against Utah Valley. They were able to, uh, to really cut that Utah Valley rally up so that, uh, you know, close night, but you know, they were able to get a 40 point win out of it. <laughs> That's me making fun of, of Utah County. Uh, clearly we, 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 uh, it's, it's always worth taking a shot at, uh, the Provo area. Yeah. <laughs> why not? I just, I just, it, it's fun to watch, but that said, it's, I, I think. That's the idea is they've, they've been able to find a way to disrupt backcourt, get them out of rhythm to some level. The, the difference here is they're kind of up against the one squad that's figured out the formula of we can get up early and we might have figured out the rhythm we need to maintain it, uh, and not get over flustered. Cause what hurt Louisville was overcompensation was as soon as things got, they were getting frustrated offensively. They tried to force the issue. They tried to overcompensate. They tried to get quick scores and all of a sudden it's missing lands and it's, it's, you know, it's easy buckets they couldn't get and it was missing free throws. And, and what I saw from Arizona was patience. Find the moment. We're ahead and I, they almost can't allow that to happen. They need to put, they need to put in a prowess early. Um, and that's very much in that for them. I make it sound like it'll be impossible. It's very much in the cards for them and the card don't for them. Yeah. Even. Something, uh, something else I find a little informative is in their two losses this year. Um, first against UCLA, they only went two of 10 from three. So they just didn't get any support from the perimeter at all. And then against Colorado, they went five of 22. They shot 22 three pointers and shot them at a 23% clip. So they were just wasting possessions from the perimeter. So I think Colorado, because it was a lesser opponent, that's probably laziness. Um, (laughs) so I, you know, we, we've been saying like, maybe they take a quarter off defensively, or maybe they shoot all these threes. I I think they're going to be locked in for the championship game. I don't think they're going to do that, but Arizona is a good enough defense that even with Stanford's length and their bigs, maybe Arizona can force them into taking more perimeter shots. And I think the more, if, if they're taking 15, 20, three pointers in the final game, you like that if you're a Wildcats fan. You'll take that because that means they're not getting easy buckets right on the glass. They're not getting yeah. offensive boards and putbacks and things like that. I totally feel you there. So switching 
note on this. We talked about Stanford. So the Wildcats obviously are coming off a huge upset. Um, the numbers game actually doesn't play into their favor. And that a lot of times these UConn upsets in the final four don't tend to go the other team's way when it comes to a championship. That said, we got to know them super, super well over this tournament and especially well tonight. What, what, what does Tucson got to do to, they, they never been past the Sweet 16 and they could walk out of here with some hardware, but what do they need to do to actually make it happen? I think the first thing for me that stands out and you really hit on it is like, you might need to take the physicality you had against UConn and take it up about three notches. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if there's one advantage Stanford has that it can't be questioned, it's the size advantage. You've got to find a way, uh, to, to get some of those, um, advantages off their feet wherever you can. And I don't mean like literally tackle them. I just mean find a way <laughs> to give yourself the space, uh, to make some things happen. Yeah. That might be what it takes. Brink had six blocks tonight. I mean, if she's patrolling the, the middle along with everybody else they've got, mm-hmm. maybe you do have to, maybe you have to do be, you know, be a little extra physical in the first quarter, prove you won't, won't be taken for granted. I think it's a, a fine line that they've got to walk because I don't think that they'll survive being in foul trouble either. So it's, it's, it's that weird line of they need to be more physical, but not get in foul trouble. Um, cause I, I think that could also undercut them pretty badly there too. So, uh, I, I think that's what it is. It's, it's stiff defense and letting Stanford know that you're there and trying to get, you know, get under their skin, like make Stanford feel pushed around a little bit. Um, cause you know, if you can get them playing even slightly frazzled basketball, that's a big, that's a big win for Arizona. So, um, I think that's what I think I'm right in line with you guys. I think they've got to be tough and I think they've got to, to act dominant mm-hmm. on the floor to to kind of throw Stanford off of off balance. Yeah, I I think so. Um I'm looking through this and obviously just looking at Arizona's performances in the tournament so far. Obviously, you know, Ari McDonald has gotten hers pretty much every night. She um I believe in every game scored more than 20 points minus their close matchup against BYCC. Um but uh Otherwise, there are only two games before this UConn matchup where more than Ari McDonald scored in double figures. Um, and with UConn, they had three players in double figures. You know, Reese dropped 11, Thomas had 12, Baptiste only got seven, and it feels like she scored 50 the way she was playing physically. Yeah. Well, she, like, she didn't, she didn't start scoring till the third quarter. I don't think Baptiste had any points until the, like the nice, like footwork. That, that we pointed out earlier where it was like, oh, now she's, you know, getting some stuff inside. Yeah. That's good. So I think, you know, if, if you can get that repeat of finding three players, at least in the 10 point range, you're immediately telling yourself, you're immediately putting yourself in an offensive rhythm where, uh, you're forcing Stanford to stay true to more than just one score. Yeah. And you're just allowing yourself more options that way. And I think that's what one thing that did really help Arizona against UConn was the ability to say, like, we might bite you uh, quite a bit if if you put all of the emphasis on our top scorer, right? They, UConn was able to clamp down a little bit on Caitlin Clark, and Caitlin Clark got her points, but there was really no one to, that was able to heavy suppl- heavily supplement that advantage. Arizona did find a way to do that. And they they have that in them if they establish some of those shots early, 
very much potentially. And I think that'll, you know, stand on its own. Yeah. So I think it's what it comes down to. Like set a, a presence early, whatever you can do to get at least one of these bigs. And I don't know if it's hold. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's Brink. Get one of these on the bench within the first, uh, you know, before the end of the first, uh, in, you know, try to establish some foul trouble um, and open yourself up some space. I think that the chance is there. Um, but I wonder if a part of their strategy is they're just going to go try to go out and ball. Like it's it sounds, <laughs> it sounds so simple, but what made Ari McDonald for specific successful in the semifinal game well, she was just not afraid to take any shot anywhere if she felt like it was needed. In so many yeah. situations, she was in a scenario where she was able to make a shot. I mean, she, the shooting from the proverbial logo down to drawing fouls under the basket, um, it's that level of, of fearlessness that's going to be extremely huge here. Yeah, to me, you could say this about every college basketball game, and it would be true, but especially in this one, my two keys are pretty simple. Like McDonald specifically has to shoot close to 40% from the perimeter. Like tonight she was four of nine. She was a threat from out there, which opened some things up in the lane. She has to yep. shoot and hit threes at a good clip. Mm-hmm. And then they, they, they won tonight. Arizona did without many offensive rebounds. I think they got like four total mm-hmm. offensive rebounds for the game. It wasn't much of a factor. UConn only had six. It wasn't much of a big deal. Yeah. If they play. 24 seconds of great defense against Stanford, but then let those Stanford bigs clean up the boards and get something easy. They're going to lose. Yeah. You cannot give up offensive rebounds to Stanford because what you're, what's going to happen is you're going to tire yourself out playing incredible defense possession after possession. And then you're either going to have to foul on the rebound or you're going to give up easy points, like almost unearned, you know, like I know it is earned, but like in your eyes, it's going to be like, Oh man, like we, we shut down what they want to do offensively. Like we were in the passing lanes, we forced them into a difficult shot, and if if they just grab the rebound and dump it back in with all of the the bigs that they're going to have yeah. on the block in this game, then that's an easy way to negate a very good Wildcats defense. So you have mm-hmm. to be defensively rebounding everything you can. If you give the Stanford team extra possessions at the end of the game, you're either going to be putting them on the foul line and they're going to kill you from the foul line, or you're going to be you're going to be jacking up threes on your end trying to catch back up. Yeah, absolutely. So I, it's, it's an interesting uh, case on that. Exactly. Basically, I'm agreeing with you. I'm, I'm flubbered because I'm trying to think of anything else that we really have to take on this. I think it just comes down to <laughs> rebounds are the key to happiness. That's, yeah, that's it. The <laughs> rebound, no ring. Pat Riley, yeah, uh, make yeah. that happen. So obviously one team's going to walk out with hardware. It's going to be a team from the pack 12. That's as much as we know. I mean, unless it's going to be someone, it's going to be unless someone team. from the sec cashes in their money in the bank contract and then changes things. <laughs> this is going to be, uh, that's how things are going to be. So let's, let's just get nitty and gritty with this Logan. Who is the 2021 national champion? Uh, I'm going to stick with my take from weeks ago, which is that Stanford looks title bound. And I don't think anyone's going to stand in their way acknowledging that I have a tendency to curse teams when I pick them confidently and that I would be fine doing that now to the Cardinals. <laughs> uh, Jason, are, do, do you agree with that sentiment or are you coming in with a different angle? So the, the sports fan in me really wants Arizona to win. Uh, but the kid who has never won his group bracket pool 
really need Stanford to win. Even though I can't win it, I'm still in like single digits, <laughs> which I'm excited about. Uh, all in all, realistically looking at this, I think it's Stanford's game to lose. Uh, I'll even put a score on it. I think, I think the magic number is 72. I think if Arizona scores 72, they win. If they don't, I think they lose. Uh, and I'm going to give it a final score of Stanford 71, Arizona 65. Yeah. Um, I, I agree with a lot of the sentiment that you guys are giving. I think every, uh, buddy in, in this scenario and everybody who would look at this and make a decision, it makes sense, you know, it, it, everybody in this scenario stands to play to say that this is very much, what they've been built up to do. The matchup is there. They've been able to comfortably get this win, but to quote a certain coach, uh, who held up two fingers, uh, on, uh, national camera, you know, on, on national TV, F everybody. I'm picking <laughs> Arizona to win this one. Um, cause one of us has to, and I hope I don't jinx him by doing that. Um, you know what? It's been a sort of boring year for sports champions, right? We had a, a racist Tom Brady win. We had a Bam, uh, an Alabama win, a national championship football team, you know, game. We deserve a wild upset. Might as well be out of Tucson. Might as well yeah. be Arizona. Let's make it happen. Let's all go to, and you know what? I, I'm, I'm legitimately leaving my house to go to, go to a drive through to get a breakfast burrito tonight to celebrate in honor of Tucson, Arizona. <laughs> uh, and, and when, when Ari McDonald raises that championship, I'm going to go get a Big Mac. I'm going to go, I'm going to go to McDonald's. Is that lame? Probably, but I'll do it. Oh, um, I, I want to go to, I'd love to go to Tucson if they won. If they had some sort of, I don't know Tucson. if we're to the point as a society where we're doing parades, but Tucson's a great city. It's a, it's they, a very like low key. Uh, it's underrated. It's actually, I, uh, someone, someone's gonna get very mad with Odo about say I might put Tucson over Phoenix. Like going to Phoenix and going to see the Mercury in that area, and Phoenix is a good city in its own right. Actually, really, I've been to Tucson several times, and I've always liked it. The food's good. The people seem to be kind. Uh, it's a good area. There's fun stuff to do. It's a, it's a food city. It's such an underrated food city. Anyway, that's not the issue. But I, I would love for Coach Barnes to bring Arizona a championship. After, I mean, I don't know if you're as familiar with, with this team. I, I just found this out on Twitter earlier tonight, but the last time they did anything in the tournament, Coach Barnes was on the team, which oh, like, wow. you just love, you love that. Like they, they went to the sweet 16 with her on the team and it's like, this is so storybook. And so many times in sports, we get like near storybook endings and then, you know, the superior team wins out and we have to hang our heads and be like, Oh, right. That's why yeah. it doesn't normally happen. And by the way, wouldn't it be so storybook for A.D. Barnes to cap this off by defeating the winningest college basketball coach of all time in Tara Vanderveer? <laughs> Isn't that the end of the story? Yeah. I, be a heck of a run. If you're looking to write that final chapter, that's how you do it. To bump off Gino in your first uh, your first matchup with him and then take down Stanford. That's To bump off, to piss off Gino is enough. To, to bump him off, yeah, that's a win. I love seeing her in the huddle and basically saying, I, I don't even know if she was directing this at UConn. It could have just been at the NCAA in general. Just, yeah. you know what? F them. Like, they didn't think you'd be here. So what? They didn't put you in the hype video. So what? Force them, you know, win the championship and then see who they talk about. Like, that's, mm -hmm. that's a great, I, I feel like Stanford all year has been like your slow and steady. Like, we're good at what we do. We, yeah, you know, I don't know. 
am I going to watch Miracle tomorrow? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Because I, I feel like that's the mindset you want to be in. I actually, uh, I, I, I threw a random Miracle quote at you toward the end of that. Of the Arizona Yukon game. It was a moment they like had cut to a frustrated Gino with like 45 seconds left. And I just said, you, he doesn't know what to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I heard, I, I love, I love that. Cause that's, that's what it felt like. It was, it, it, and it's, it's again, it's that, that was a big semifinal, a historic win in a semifinal. And it's that classic Herb Brooks quote. Like if, if you ruin this in the final, like you'll take it to your grave. Uh, and I'm not saying that, you know, obviously, you know, that's, that's way too much pressure to put on, but like, I like good stories. That'd be a cool, that'd be a cool story to finish off. And you know what? What the heck? I, my bracket's been so horrifically bad. (laughs) I might as well go crazy with one last prediction and and take the Wildcats here. I, I, I I'd love it if they celebrated by changing their name. I just think Wildcats is a, a lazy nickname, but it's so boring. It's so boring. I, I will say, I don't get the sense from the Wildcats anymore that they're just happy to be there. Like, plenty of no. Cinderella teams get to the Sweet 16 or they get to the Elite Eight and then they fizzle out, but you still kind of applaud them off the court and you say, you know what? Good for them. I bet they're happy to be here. They know they accomplished a lot. Yeah, what this a run. A, this is a number three seeded Arizona team that this whole tournament has been thinking, nobody's talking about us as threats, as champions. Like, what the heck? And I love that they're in a position now to be like, no, we're not happy to be in the finals either. We weren't here to beat UConn. We were to win the whole damn thing. <laughs> like, yeah. And that's what I think of this. It's, it's, uh, I don't think they'll be happy with losing this game and saying, you know what? But what a run. Yeah. I think uh-huh. that they'll be disappointed if they don't walk out with a championship and that, that plays a big role. So obviously that's Sunday. That's the national championship. Um, sound off here on the Twitch chat. If you're follow us on Twitter and you're hearing the show, we want to hear your opinions. What do you like? What do you don't? Uh, of course, you can always follow us over on Twitter and Facebook. Um, I haven't plugged our merch in a while. I'm wearing our awesome zip-up sweater. Check out our merch. Get some swag over on Store Envy. Do all the good stuff. Uh, we have a we have a date official for the draft. We might be getting a date for the season one day. Maybe if we all um, just really close our eyes and believe we'll get a schedule. I think we're a week away. I think they're going to drop the jerseys and then be like, also, here's the schedule. Yeah. Well, it'd be dope <laughs> if they did like a jersey schedule to announce the schedule. <laughs> like, you know, you know how teams do that now. Maybe that's what they'll do. So we, we had another Connecticut leak. We have, uh, you guys are going to be so excited for this, for the, for the Twitch stream when these actually get rolled out. Cause Logan oh. and I might start blowing gaskets. It's going to be something else. In addition to merch, which you should check out, we've got. A lot of really cool stuff coming your way. We've been teasing it for a couple episodes now, but if you think about it, uh, some things are around the corner. So we are going to be doing team-by-team previews for the season, which are going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to head those up because I'm going to do that, and it's going to be fun. Um, I I just realized I don't have a reason for doing that other than I'm just excited to put it together and for you guys to to experience that. Steve is going to have Candace Parker W History Part 2 for us very soon. Very soon. Uh, we are all collectively going to be doing things such as the mock draft episode, which was a big hit last year. I know people have been asking about that. We will be doing that again. Uh, and then we will be looking at an upcoming season. We're, we're going to talk about upcoming schedules because the WNBA is going to drop those pretty soon. Um, and then we're going to be basically all the way up until draft day and then the season uh, bringing you pretty fresh coverage because we're this is the time of season where it's go time. We usually get... A big, a big bump in listenership 
Uh, we usually get some people asking what teams they should be a fan of, and we are here as a resource for those people. So we're excited about all those things. Yeah, I, I've been thinking a lot about almost like we should like one day we'll open up like a Udemy course, or like a Skillshare course. That's all about like how to find your WNBA team. Like take these following steps at the end of the course. We'll review yeah. who your team should be. Oh, and um, then uh, the the lives the draft uh, draft night live stream as well, yeah. which is going to be super fun this year Good because stuff. it sounds like they're going to do twenty fifth anniversary. Uh, we'll have some cool stuff. Well, and they're I, I think they learned lessons from last year's draft. Yeah. I think they're still doing it virtually this year, which is fun because you get to see players' living rooms and, and yeah. like you get to family reactions made that. Yeah. It's, it's the best. So I I think uh I think Kathy probably took some notes, Kathy Engelbert. Um and we're gonna get like a little bit more airtime for the second and third rounds, let those let those really sink in. And I love that episode. I, I think my very favorite episodes we do every year are the mock draft, which we started last year, the live stream, and then our predictions episode for the season, all of which are coming in like the next like seven weeks. So yes. that's a fun time. Yes, absolutely. Um, and that's really everything. I mean, we have a lot under the, you know, on the horizon. We have a championship game to get ready for. So much to be excited about. But of course, uh, until all that. Thank you so much uh, to everyone for, for taking the time, listening to the show, check us out on Twitch, all the good stuff. Until we chat again when we have a national champion and it's time to start talking draft. Until all that, I'm Steve Schwartzman. I'm Jason Snow. I'm Logan Jones. And we got you next time.